Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity, revelation and manifestation. O Lodi, the scourge of the town, O Lotha, the arrow shooter, Afi Alok Bado, Gachu, Ijah, user of the time to cause more confusion. Listen, and you shall hear me in the wind. Know it is my thunder that gives a warning in the dark. Do not dare deny me through false tongue, my daughters. Do not anger me with fences of blindness. For you must run wild and free of injustice to celebrate me, and it is you who must call forth the storm of change. You are now listening live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience to the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and my personal ever-living reality. It is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the Divine Prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth, and it is my personal place of power and understanding. The place from where I began, the place from where I realized and crystallized all my endeavors, understanding that I, and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe, today is... Tuesday, December 11, 2000, I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally, from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince, High Potions, Hoodoo Central, Black Hawk Voodoo in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this spiritualist who do obey a life path and journey, passing down the great Obia stick along with the knowledge of the healing, life-giving herbs, roots, plants, ritual spirits, and minerals. Please do continue to join me here at high noon at U.S. Central Standard Time for the Power Lunch Revolutionary Hoodoo New Orleans voodoo, secrets, and recipes here on Blog Talk Radio, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the hyphen divine hyphen prince. My live listening and call-in number is area code 347 
767. When you're ready with your question, comment, or request, please press the number one on your telephone keypad. Please do be mindful that my website where I can be reached utilizing various means virtually 24 hours a day, seven days a week is www.houseofthedivineprince.com. Also, please join me at Denise Augustine at Historic Treme at www.oursacredstories.com. O-U-R-S-A-C-R-E-D stories.com. And know that always I am because my creators are, because my ancestors are all-powerful, open, and receptive to all that operates for my good here and now in this divine moment in time space for indeed we create and recreate our reality. We create and recreate our experience by way of our understanding what we know to be true, not just at the intellectual scientific level, but at the level of experience and demonstration and manifestation in our individual and unique Lies, and it is indeed this is where our power seat is. This is what connects us to those great shoulders on which we stand upon, the great ancestors and those who came before, who planted the seeds, who laid the foundation in blood, sweat, and tears that we now will have the opportunity to bring balance, bring correction, bring truth, and indeed bring new knowledge and new awareness. There are those who are looking for the footprint of voodoo. There are those who are seeking to reinforce the narratives that have always been spoken, the narrative that we have no God, the narrative that we are without connection to a root, the narrative that we have somehow lost lineage the narrative that we are somehow now operating in a new heritage and a new path that is somehow removed from not only Mother Africa, but from the the Pan-African experience that came out of the Middle Passage. And so when looking for the footprint of voodoo, people are using Eurocentric and Western systems for looking for something that has never existed in that realm. We've never been prolific book writers. We've never been carvers, if you will, of our story and our mysteries and our uh, beliefs in stone. But we, as curators of the voices of our ancestors, must First, tap that which exists within our own crystal, within our own DNA structure, within our own bodies, within our own heads, and then utilize the resources that are available to us now through technology, through archaeology, through research to begin to reconstruct a narrative that is in our best interest, that is empowering, we must no longer the narratives that disempower us, that keep us enslaved, 
that keep us uh, dominated by worldviews and world powers that do not have our ancestry, our lineage, our heritage, our history positioned in its rightful place of, of value. West African slaves brought not only herbal knowledge with them across the Atlantic, they also imported the seeds and some wore necklaces of wild licorice seed as a protective amulet. Captains of slave vessels used native roots to treat fevers that decimated their human cargo. The ship's hellish holes were lined with straw that held the seeds of African grasses and other plants that took root in the New World soil. Moreover, since the West African climate is similar to the climate in the mid-Atlantic region, slaves may have found counterparts to their own plant species. And as I've said many times before, there is no voodoo, there is no Ifa, there is no ATR without the plants, without nature, and certainly the herb of lore of captive Africans was expanded by contact with Indian tribes, Native American, indigenous tribes, as well as by interactions with Europeans. French missionaries in the 17th century, for example, noted the use of Bonacet by the Iroquois. In the 18th century, both Europeans and their African slaves used it. By the 19th century, the medical establishment was regularly prescribing it for fevers. And although the exchange of plant knowledge was cross-cultural, there were distinct differences in the way this knowledge was preserved and applied. And this is important also when we look at how the idea and the documentation and the storytelling of religion and spirituality from this period uh, is also tainted by white supremacy, Christianity, Islam, and other uh, worldviews that were not uh, conducive to the life of the enslaved African. Uh, <clears throat> forgive me. Um, some slave remedies were transmitted orally from generation to generation, whereas white domestic healers like Lucy tended to write down cures along with recipes for preserves and meat pies in recipe books. Their healing recipes were often complex and required considerable amounts of time to prepare. A recipe for dysentery, for example, demanded boiling a teacup wood chips in a pint of sweet milk, then boiling another 10 minutes with sugar, then finally burning four tablespoons of brandy in a plate, then stirring it into the milk mixture. Slave remedies tended to be simpler than white medicines. Teas or poultices were made with one of two plants. Scholar Sarah Mitchell Cotton speculates that slaves had less time to gather ingredients and less time to prepare complex mixtures. 
other researchers suggest that simplicity may have been a result of a more sophisticated understanding of the properties of each plant. And uh, I want to add that, again, the environment in which the voodoo would have had to survive, the environment in which we were living under and would have had to survive would have required a great deal of secrecy, mystery, encoded messaging, hidden truths, for indeed just the idea that we had any degree of, of knowledge or awareness outside of uh, uh, livestock uh, was seen as a threat in antebellum South and, and, and ultimately enslaved in the slave world. Unlike the science-based medicine of today, 18th century medicine had a religious component for both black and white healers. And as Eileen Malone Brown observes in her essay, Healthcare During Lucy's Lifetime, some Europeans saw healing plants as a gift from God, and many practitioners resorted to prayer as well as herbs. African healers also felt a sacred connection to plants they found in the woods, and they used elements from African religious ritual when they prepared medicine. Europeans however, dismissed African spirituality as superstitious and an indication of a childlike mentality. Lucy may or may not have exchanged remedies with slave root doctors and midwives, but as a devout Christian, she certainly would have approved of slave conjurers who, in the tradition of their forebears in Africa, were said to cast spells along with plants and animal parts used trickery and intimidation to treat illness of both body and soul. Lucy was a Methodist, and the Methodists were known for evangelizing amid slave communities. So it is probable that many of Lucy's slaves, perhaps without altogether abandoning ancestral religious beliefs, adopted their owner's creed, converged converted slaves likely would have gained not only her favor, but also inspiration from biblical stories like Exodus that hold the promise of triumph over oppression. In previous shows um, that we've done um, about encoded slave messaging, we also obtain an understanding that uh, voodoo and other um, traditional systems masked themselves also through biblical symbolism and biblical scriptures. It was the nature of the environment in which our people here would have had to live in, an environment uh, uniquely distinct and different from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, from Haiti from Brazil, where by way of the Catholic Church, there was a space a, a little bit more open to organize, to gather, and to construct what people assume today to be the most unbroken lineages to our tradition. But I offer you to follow the plan. 
follow the plan. Today we say follow the money, but in in the time of enslavement um, and, and, and the cotton being the king, um, I would suggest that you follow the plans. Slaves use many of the plants. Um, slaves use many of the plants used by the community of their white owners. Snake fruit, may apple, red pepper, bonus fat, pine, needles, comfrey, red oak bark, to name a few. Slave healers understood the various preparations of pokeweed and how to avoid its dangers while taking advantage of its curative properties. Sassafras, root deep, was a popular seasonal blood cleanser believed to search the blood for what was wrong and to go to work on it. Jimson weed was used for rheumatism, chestnut leaf tea for asthma, mint and cow manure tea for, for consumption. Slave midwives would have known and used herbs for female complaints and to ease childbirth. Slaves preferred their own doctors to white doctors, and their um, heroic, or heroic purging and, and bloodletting of the of the white doctors. Uh, we understand that the white doctors again would have treated the enslaved like cattle a, a great deal worse than how. Uh, the average American views their pets today in, in modern times. And so uh, the idea of favoring the slave doctor, uh, I'm sure is also supported by, by the idea of, of not having very many options other than the slave doctor for treating uh, any kind of health condition. And there's a Again, a, a line there of health, wellness, treating the ailment or the condition, but also religion that is still yet understudied um, and overlooked in terms of the masking of African-based religious, spiritual wisdom and knowledge for an enlightening look at what it's meant to be sick when you don't own your own body. The historian Todd L. Savitt, S-A-V-I-T-T, he has an online essay called Slave Health and Medicine. If you got sick and were black, and I will provide a link later on in social media to that document to give you a better historical archaeological context and what it would have meant to be black and enslaved and sick and then needing some health care, some medicine, some treatment. The health of a planter's workforce was critical to economic success. All slave illnesses had to be reported to a farm's overseer under pain of punishment, the responsibility for the health of slaves often fell to the mistress of the plantation. In 1781, a year after Lucy married her second husband, John Marks, a French nobleman, 
visited William Byrd's large plantation on the James River and remarked that Mrs. Byrd took great care of her Negro, makes them happy as their situation will permit, and serves them herself in time for sickness. He goes on to say she has even made more interesting discoveries on the disorders to them and discovered a very salutary method of treating a sort of putrid fever which carries them off commonly in a few days and against which the physician of the country has exerted themselves without avail. Like Mrs. Bird, Lucy would have spent considerable time attending to her slave's health, especially since after the death of her second husband, she was not only mistress of her plantation, she was master as well, and presumably like her slave-owning neighbor, Thomas Jefferson, she would have followed common health practices like providing warm clothing in cold weather and restricting healthy labor for pregnant women at the end of their birth term. Still, despite her investment in the health of her slaves, they would have suffered from complaints ranging from worms and skin ulcers to respiratory diseases and influenza. Real result-oriented work. You're either going to live or die. You have to see a result in treating these sorts of conditions, and particularly when it could kill off uh, your your entire uh, property hold of slaves from the from the position of the of the slave masters, and moreover, any complaint could become a a point of conflict. It was not simply a question of slaves preferring their own doctors than being reluctant to report illnesses to an overseer. There was the more complicated question of malingering. Slaves often complained of sickness to avoid work, a strategy that encouraged a perception of slaves as lazy and deceitful. However, in West African mythology, the trickster Eshu was a hero. On American shores, he wore the guise of Burr Rabbit. And I did some shows a few years back about Burr Rabbit and many of the mythologies and stories that that went along with Burr Rabbit and Tar Baby uh, that not only spoke to the racism and white supremacy of the day, but also spoke to the masked awareness of of the fear and the and the legacy of power that is voodoo. The Burr Rabbit, the admirable scoundrel of the Uncle Remus stories, Uncle Remus stories, Uncle Remus, Burr Rabbit, Tar Baby. Uh, It's a whole uh, litany of stories that not only resonate with the West African tradition of the griot, the storyteller who speaks through stories, through proverbs, uh, it resonates to some degree of more traditional West African divination when an Orisha, an Odu, if you will, is on the board, a mark is on, on the divination table, and then it speaks in stories and parables 
that must be remedy for the answers to the wise wisdom of how to uh, uh, deal with or confront certain uh, calamities that just would have been a part of the environment of being enslaved uh, in America. And like her fellow slave-owning planters, Lucy would have had to determine whether the slave was actually ill or was faking illness. Given that she was a disciplinarian with her own children, we can suppose she was strict with her servants. And as she and her peers uh, euphemistically were their slaves, nonetheless, a slave's claim of sickness would have put her on the horns of a dilemma. To ignore a real illness might result in a prolonged, more serious illness or even death. On the other hand, to allow a slave to take to bed reduced her labor force. In either case, farm profits would suffer. Some plantations like George Washington's Mount Vernon plantation, which I've been to many times growing up in the uh, Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, George Washington's plantation, um, Frederick Douglass's uh, uh, plantation, places that my mother would have taken us um, from age of three, four, five, six, uh, many times a year to be in that environment, to hear and experience um, from our perspective that history, that telling, if you will, Mount Vernon had over 300 slaves in, in those quarters, and, and that antique smell of the, of the dust and the wood um, still exists there today. And he had separate quarters for six slaves. We do not know if Lucy, who owned 47 slaves at the time of her death, had a sick house at Locust Hill. No doubt. She was assisted in her doctoring by slave nurses who, under her supervision, would have administered medicine, prepared gruels, and cleaned patients and their bedclothes of blood and vomit and excrement. We do know that Lucy paid a neighbor, a woman named Mrs. Via, to wait on Frankie, a pregnant female slave, and Lucy may also have owned a slave doctress or a granny who would have combined her herbal knowledge with, with midwife skills. Slave midwives were more valuable and earned their owners and perhaps themselves money for safely delivering slave babies and in some cases white babies as well. If healing skills were an advantage to both slave and owner, they also posed a threat. Slaves who knew their plants had easy access to poison. They knew which herbs could abort pregnancies, which could sicken, which could cause sudden death. In Virginia, the decades between 1791 and 1809, uh, for you historians out there, the the uh, Haitian Revolution, I believe, was, was kicking off in 1791, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
These decades between 1791 and 1809 were marked by a series of slave uprisings. The most notable of these was the Gabriel Plot, in which over a 1,000 slaves attacked Virginia. In 1831, Matt Turner led his famous slave rebellion in Virginia's Tidewater. Virginia state records show that between 1780 and 16, I'm sorry, 1780 and 1864, 58 slaves were convicted of poisoning or attempted poisoning. So no matter how much white slave owners relied on and trusted slave healers, they also feared them. They, this fear prompted the enactment of laws. As early as 1748, the colony of Virginia forbade any Negro or any other slave to administer any medicine whatsoever under pain of death without benefit of clergy. An exception was made for slaves treating other slaves or her owner's family, providing the owner gave permission. And in 1792, the law was softened to allow acquittal if at the slave's uh, practitioner's trial, it was shown that there had been no ill intent, no bad consequence. Thus, if a doctoress administered a preparation of herbs and the patient happened to die, an angry owner could have the slave hung. As an early historian observed, with stringent laws and with fear of poisoning constantly in the public mind, it is surprising that any of the Negroes should have attempted the risky business of prescribing for the sick. In fact, the laws were no deterrent. Slave medicine flourished on plantations, and while collecting wild herbs and roots, slave doctors, male and female, escaped the boundaries of their working life and perhaps experienced a fleeting taste of physical freedom, certainly a belief in the sacredness of healing plants allowed them to connect with an authority higher than their owners. But it is, but, but be it animistic, African deities or a single Christian God, it allowed for a connection to a power, an authority greater than Master, particularly if Master was, was on his sickbed, Master's wife, Master's children, entreating fellow slaves, they became an instrument of divine power. They, not their owners, controlled a patient's body. At its core, slave healing was an empowerment for both the healer and the patient. And so it is not difficult to envision the environment that voodoo would have had to operate just behind the scenes, and not just in Louisiana or New Orleans, but throughout the slave environment, throughout the South, throughout America as it existed 
um, at that time, anywhere you would have had wealth, you would have had ownership, you would have had slaves, you would have had property, you would have had um, uh, um, there's a word for it. It escapes me right now. A word that was commonly used for for the slave. Uh, I want to say it's a word that's used for. Uh, illegal and illicit materials that are smuggled in the prison system today. Um, but it was the same word that was used to uh, uh, describe the shadow, to, to describe our enslaved ancestors. And so voodoo would have had to exist in a very uniquely fine-tuned environment of mystery and secrecy and awareness, and trust, and knowledge. And many of the the reasoning behind the application of voodoo in retributive magic, indeed the story of the use of, of slave medicine and herbs is just unfolding with us as we talk about poisonings, for indeed the usage of, of root work, conjure, hoodoo, and the very act of poisoning is well documented in the slave south. Uh, and so the legacy and the fear of voodoo cannot be overstated. I will be back tomorrow at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time to continue the narrative, to continue the story. I invite you to call in, dial in to area code 347-215-8967, 347-215-8967. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad. When you are ready with your question, comment, or request, I will be more than happy to bring you into the conversation, remembering that all is truly and indeed a blessing. It is revolutionary revival of Hoodoo, New Orleans Hoodoo Secrets and Recipes, Retributive Magic. The only power greater than Massa <laughs> was the Voodoo. Respect the Voodoo. All is a blessing. Ashe. Congo Square. The Omus Indians. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places, Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow, 
persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart beat, heart beat, heart be at this place, at this place, be heart beat, be we beating place in new world space, beating being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace, our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be Bambula dance, be Banza music, and sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget 
Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate without Hello. of us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.